Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Retail Tech uh, Review. My name's Rachel Smith. I'm going to be anchoring the session today because we've unbelievably let our head of content at Retail Tech News, Lindsay Roundtree, go on holiday. Um, And I want to welcome our guests to the studio for today's podcast, Hugh Williams, who's our editor for Retail Tech News. Hello, Hugh. Hello. On the other side of the desk for once. And also our special guest uh, for, for, for today's podcast, Hedley Alot, uh, CEO and founder of Summit. Um, and we'll obviously talk a little bit more about Summit and your uh, product proud, uh, product caster, but um, welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for coming along today. Okay, so um, I want to get started by just having a chat with the two of you about a couple of news items um, this week. Uh, the first of which is focusing on Amazon launching its latest uh, private label label advertising. So that's effectively um, launching Amazon-branded advertising within competitor listings. And um, I'm interested to know um, what your opinion is of their, of their efforts, what you think they're, you know, looking to achieve specifically with this, um, what the reaction of other merchants selling on Amazon would be to this particular, this particular approach and whether it's going to push brands to focus on selling their products elsewhere in another environment, maybe not on Amazon, in a more direct-to-consumer fashion, um, because it feels like quite a sort of, you know, prominently bold move from Amazon and we know it's a side of their business that they're growing very much their own, their own brands. Um, so, yeah, what's, what's your opinion? Uh, well, okay, so I, I want to say um, uh, why, why shouldn't they? This is, um, I think this is all to do with it being Amazon doing this, but let's not forget that this has been going on in retail for years. So, you know, supermarkets, they observe what sells well on their shelves, they then produce their own brand, and then they use the insights from selling other people's products to promote and sell their own for more margin. I don't hear a plethora of complaint about that. So is it the fact that... Um, Amazon are in such a dominant position uh, that and, and, and maybe because they seem to power the economy for so many small sellers that people sort of cry, oh, monopoly, this isn't fair. But, you know, actually what, what they're doing has been going on for, for absolute years. And um, perhaps it's just their position rather than the actual fact of using that information. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I, I think that's a good point. I think it, I think it is their position in the market and that. If if they're doing this, obviously they're collecting data on what's selling well on their platform all of the time, and they're just going to get more and more data rich as as the process goes on. So that's that's what's obviously allowing them to do this. And I think this is newsworthy because people are getting scared by it. Whereas if it when it happens in Sainsbury's, say in a traditional supermarket, you don't look twice at it because Sainsbury's don't have a massive monopoly obviously they have they have a monopoly in their own store but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. they don't have a monopoly on the entire market whereas this is actually looking at i guess a broader area yeah but it's funny isn't it that it seems to be quite emotive that um uh amazon clearly is um empowering the economy for you know really small sellers to you know give up their job and and run a shop from their garage and that and that's great but um it suddenly, for some people, it seems to they, they seem it's not to be fair because we're dealing with, you know, sole traders or whatever. Whereas for a, for a supermarket mm. chain who are competing against another large organisation, yeah. that seems to be fair game. But actually, mm, you know, people who decide to set up a business, they set up a business. That's business, mm. right? It's just more competition. So. I think I think as long as um, people are really clear ab- about uh, the competition that they have on Amazon, and also that overnight that people aren't disadvantaged, where for example they um, 
their whole dynamics of the business can shift. So, for example, you buy a load of stock. Suddenly, Amazon start promoting their own product over you. You get left with all that stock. You, you know that there's some balance that Amazon need to work out about the, the sellers that they're dealing with, who perhaps don't have the, the might of a large brand. So they need to be sensitive to that. But you know, I suppose it's it's fair game. It's more competition, yeah. and it's a marketplace, right? So, yeah. and, and arguably, a lot of those smaller sort of you know tiny businesses or independent businesses wouldn't exist without a marketplace like Amazon anyway. Yeah. Well, they certainly perhaps wouldn't exist in the same way. Well, 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 exactly. And and I think there's some wider questions though that um, people who put all their eggs in one basket on Amazon and uh, then that that's a huge risk. Yeah, you know, it's really a huge risk because. Yeah. Um, and what other business would do that? It, Name me another yeah. brand that would just have one channel to market. They, they, they wouldn't. And if yeah. they did, they're, they're, they're foolish. Yeah. So in a way, maybe it's just a kind of reminder of what Amazon is. It's not just the kind of dominant, um, you know, kind of player in, 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 a, in a part of the industry. It's also an open marketplace. And so that means, you know, all forms of competition are in theory fair. But I, d- I don't think we're going to see a, a massive drop off in the amount of people selling on Amazon because yeah. of this. It will annoy them. They'll get pissed off by it. Yeah. But you can't, if you if you drop out of selling on Amazon completely, then your competitors are still going to sell there and you will lose yeah. ground to them. But interestingly, this, this places great emphasis on the people who are selling on Amazon. It's a more competitive space, so they've got to think about their costs, they've got to think about their proposition. But that's the normal dynamics of any retail landscape. Whether you're bidding on Google and the CPCs go up and you can't afford it, therefore you need to work on your proposition. No, no different. Um, but I think it would just need to make you sharper and you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. I think it's more of a challenge um, when we see sellers being removed from Amazon, you know, li- literally overnight or move their position based on f- falling foul of some rule, mm. which the machine at Amazon has d- determined that you- you're now we're going to suspend your account and leave you with a lot of product. You know, mm. and it's very hard to get reinstated. That's probably much more of an issue mm. that people yeah. aren't aware of. Mm. And, yeah, I guess the reality is as well that because it is Amazon's marketplace that this is happening on, there's nothing that can be done really to control them because they're doing it within their own within their own site, aren't they? So can anyone do anything to, to stop something like this from happening? I, 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 don't, I don't think so. No, yeah. I don't think so. Exactly. <laughs> Frankly, you know, you, cho- you choose to play or you choose not to play. And yeah, actually, exactly. it's interesting, we've got clients who've, who've um, used Amazon as a route to market over the years. And then they've had, for example, they've had a really great Christmas. They've got, gosh, we, we put all our products on Amazon. We had a spectacular Christmas. And then the next year, uh, Amazon weren't interested in taking any of their well. products because Amazon realised that this brand or this product sold really well and they went and did a deal directly with the brand yeah. and, and they had their legs taken away. So, you know, you just need to realise that, that that's the rules of the game. You have to have a much more diversified strategy these days, right? Yeah, mu- much more, I think. Um, but then, so what about the position of, of these sort of direct-to-consumer brands? Might it be that there'd be some some brands that are selling on Amazon that just sort of see the opportunity to, in fact, um, you know, um, funnel that relationship directly to their customer and, and, and maybe, like Hugh says, it doesn't mean that they necessarily give up on Amazon tomorrow, but it makes them a little bit more focused on how they're using their data and makes them think, you know, actually, we need to control this relationship a little bit more. I think, like Headley said earlier, there's no nobody out there who sells entirely through Amazon because you can't put all your eggs in one basket. It's, it's just not it's just not sane, really. Mm. So I think brands are thinking about that and also there's there's the data place taken into consideration when you sell through amazon you don't get to see any of the you get, you get to see the transactional data you know that something's been sold but you mm. don't know who's bought it mm. you don't know what they liked about it how long they spent considering the purchase so it makes so much sense for for these brands to 
obviously carry on working with Amazon, but also to really start thinking about building out direct to consumer channels and about promoting things on Instagram and everything like that. I couldn't mm. agree more. And if you think about the sort of the, the, the democracy of uh, um, having your own e-commerce platform has come come right down. You can, you know, you can spin up a, a Shopify site really quickly uh, in a very low cost way. You can advertise. You have some advertising turned on very quickly. So, you know, anybody serious about selling direct to consumer, whether it's through Amazon or should have their own e-commerce platform uh it's not expensive and they should they should invest in that yeah it's just the rules of the game yeah yeah okay i want to move on now to uh another story that we've seen pop up in the last week which is about the uk mobile commerce market which is looking like it's booming so some recent statistics about the rise in mobile sales um here in the uk 24 percent rise from this time last year um, and within that, um, uh, 55% um, of all online sales in the UK coming from mobile devices, which is quite significant. Um, there's also a couple of stats that we've focused in on around about in-app purchases as well. So, you know, we're really seeing um, in-app purchases uh, sort of sustained quite nicely and the big bulk of those um, coming through for internet or pure play retailers versus retailers with physical stores. So... Um, I want first to know your perspective on that. Why, why is the UK performing so well in, in the mobile commerce market? Then I'm also interested in your um, perspective on uh, apps versus mobile web and what it is that retailers are doing to kind of balance their strategies in terms of optimising in a mobile environment, whether it's app or whether it's desktop, and then that desktop to mobile simultaneous piece as well. So, yeah. Headley. So this is an interesting question because um, when we uh, when we did the uh, summit scorecard uh, at the beginning of the year, we launched summit scorecard. So summit scorecard is a, essentially an outside in view of, of the top fifty retailers by revenue, and we score them and we look at over two hundred and fifty points criteria that that would affect a customer's ability or, or des- desire to buy. And um, I, I looked back at this and. It was really interesting. The, the mobile friendliness of the top 50 retailers in the UK had moved up. There was 98% were fully, fully, fully mobile friendly against our criteria. And, and, and interestingly, o- over 30% of the 2,000 people that we surveyed and asked them how they like to shop, they said that they preferred to shop on mobiles, as in smartphone. But the other group said um, for certain purchases, they felt safer purchasing on desktop still. Mm. So, so there's this sort of issue between perhaps the value of the purchase and mm. whether they shop desktop mobile. Mm. So I, I think um, there's some big headline numbers, but when you drill down and you say, well, what are people buying on their mobile? You know, I think the numbers are going up because more people are making it available. So does it include pizzas? Does it include train tickets? Of course yeah. it does. And that we've seen many more people now being e-commerce enabled. And those products near me are, are much more of a mobile purchase as opposed to a carpet or a bed, mm. which still probably are more considered. Yes, and, and there'll be a multi-device purchase. So that's something to look at. But I, I think the uh, why have things improved? For sure. So speed's been a real issue. And when we looked at the scorecard and we analysed those top three retailers, whilst they were mobile friendly, there was a real diversity in the speed of response of some of those sites. So that's a big issue still mm. for the sites that they have a mobile friendly site, responds, uh, renders well, but actually doesn't load fast. 
And that's the biggest turnoff. Did you mm. see there was a difference between, um, say, if, if speed's so important, did you see there was a difference between how well mobile web performs compared to how well mobile app performs? Or do you think there was a difference? Um, we, we, the scorecard um, specifically looked at mobile web and we, and we didn't yeah. look at app. So mm. we, we scored everybody's mobile performance. We looked mm. at speed, we looked at different times of the day. Um, uh, but there was still a huge amount of work to be done on speed. So whilst now 90% of those sites uh, rendered correctly and were mobile friendly, um, they weren't that friendly in terms of speed yeah. and performance. I wonder if that's why apps doing quite well then in terms of the proportion of sales it's taking. Maybe the, the in-app environment renders better. Maybe it's, maybe. maybe it's a bit quicker. I'd, I, personally, I'd say that's definitely a factor. If I think about even just my own purchasing habits yeah. in the last 12 months, I'm buying an awful lot more on mobile than I ever have before because of the convenience of a mobile device being so handy, mm. right? And the fact that even in the evenings when I'm watching telly, I just can't be bothered to get my laptop out from and somewhere. Wait for it to start just, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It oh, suddenly feels also archaic. I know, I just, it's kind yeah. of a rare thing. It's like, shall we open the laptop? <laughs> exactly. <Ooh. laughs> Utterly ridiculous. And I think the, the, the speed in which my, you know, I've mentally changed my mind about that over the last 12 months has been really quick. You know, 12 months ago, I would have yeah. used my laptop. Now yeah. I don't. And then the second thing is, I feel like I'm often, therefore, driven to um, uh, in-app environment because I'll start perhaps on mobile web and it'll be a bit clunky or I can't see things properly and I immediately think there's got to be an app that will do this better mm. and there isn't in every cir- set of circumstances but where there is then I'm a convert next thing you know I've got that app on my on my on my um uh, on my mobile phone and you know I'm on my way to work and I'm buying things I don't need yeah but it's definitely um the use of apps uh, we see is um definitely correlated to the frequency of purchase so mm. if this is if this is a, a, one, a once a year or you know one off kind of purchase of a brand you don't always uh, buy from then people will do it on the mobile web but they definitely won't mm. download apps um, to, to do that but there's a really interesting fact actually about um, uh, grocery so of course um, a multi for a really high frequency purchase people purchasing on grocery but um, something like 90% of people shop on grocery who, who shop on grocery do it on the mobile web and not app because mm. the app experience is poor and the reason why it's poor is because um, the app uh, doesn't combine all the loyalty aspects as well. Mm, right. So, so what happens is, you know, you've got uh, you've got uh, brands like Sainsbury's, and they've got you know, m- you know, multiple five, six different apps. And for somebody, you know, they just want one app where it collect, mm. I can collect all my points, I can do all my shopping. It's all corralled in one place. Mm. So, I think there's still a big opportunity in grocery, which is a perfect, you know, app type experience. Definitely. But yet. It's that's a highly mobile dominated. So that they haven't perfected it, Mm. except um, you know you see Acado doing. That's the sort of exception to the rule. Acado actually Mm. does well, very well in their app. But the other brands don't do very well. There's proliferation of different you know apps within the same brand, and and arguably, arguably comparatively, their legacy brands in in comparison to Acado, they were effectively a sort of delivery service from the get go. Exactly, internet retailer from the start. So they've 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 obviously you know that's part of their DNA. I feel like grocery brands should be on the pulse of what of, of changes in the industry if anyone's going to be because people visit because so frequently yeah, yeah, purchase yeah, so frequently. exactly and they've, they've been pretty clunky i mean if you know, it's yeah. weird, really isn't it? clunky yeah but you should be i agree th- they, they should be just because of the way i mean people are changing the way they want to buy all the time and yeah. i mean sainsbury's done things like um the smart shop in Clapham that I went to a couple of weeks ago. Oh, um, say so the, the, the scan and buy, and you don't you don't check it out. You just get, go in the app. Why spend money on that? Which is a luxury when you can improve 
the the weekly grocery shopping experience for people who are doing it in app because it would be so much easier to have, spend that money on a really well optimized app that you can just go through tick 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 weekly shop done um i don't understand why they'd spend money on basically play projects like that rather than um what seems to be more important things like uh, a fully like one fully optimized really good app yeah well and and i think um there's a real commitment required uh, to build a, a, an all-encompassing app that covers all of the aspects of an interaction with a you know for example a large grocery retailer but the whole loyalty and points collection it's really poorly done right now mm. and it's crying out for someone to really create something that's great Mm. Um, but it's going to come because uh, the app is the mechanism yeah. that's going to allow this sort of barrierless shopping for, for grocery and you're going to have to have an app and it's going to have to collect points and, and you're going to have to scan and do the whole thing so I think you're going to see a big change in the next two years yeah and I, well I think that's what these statistics are telling us right yeah. it's, it's very much connected to convenience so the easier that you make it for people to purchase <sighs> in uh, uh, you in know any, in, in anything yeah, yeah. Right? anything yeah that's where you're starting to see yeah. you know the, 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 the uptake yeah. and the ability to market you know particularly for grocers, the ability to market on a one-to-one basis back to you, push marketing based on your what you've bought in your basket. Um, you know, that, that can only really happen in yeah. the app or, or efficiently in the app. So yeah, exactly. um, I think you'll see big, big opportunities there. I think it shows that, so you said at the start, Rachel, that the pure players, I say the only internet retailers are seeing more transactions done through their apps than the people who have physical stores. And that probably shows that they can spend more time and money actually investing into their app rather than investing into trying to really tech out their physical location. So that's that's probably why they're seeing higher purchase rates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've, they've not got the expense of maintaining all of this physical real yeah. estate and they've quite possibly got a little bit of a different perspective on how they run their businesses and they're just seeing such good results. So I guess that's where they're yeah, putting yeah, exactly. their investment. Yeah. Okay, um, moving on to our to our third um, news story for this week, which is I'm going to connect it a little bit to the mobile discussion we had. Um, bear with me. So it's about um, JD.com in China and their expanding efforts across Asia. So they've um, news this week tells us that they've expanded their supermarket Seven Fresh across China fairly significantly. Um, they've opened up uh, their first office in Korea in Seoul, and they've also launched um, a Thai site, so a Thai JD.com site. Um, with the local retail group. So I'm interested to know from both of you what your perspective is on this kind of expansion. Um, what's important about local knowledge for uh, a company, a retailer like JD.com in expanding across such a diverse region as Asia? Um, could we see JD.com getting really interested in a serious capacity in Europe? And if so, what would that look like? Because no doubt there's big differences between the market in Asia and the market in Europe. And I guess the, the connection I wanted to make to that mobile discussion is it's really interesting to see how mobile purchasing is increasing so much here in the UK when, you know, I, we, we spend quite a bit of time in Asia. We run a retail tech summit over in Asia and we've got an editor out there as well. We're talking constantly about how mobile dominated that part of the world is and how much more advanced they are in terms of mobile um, purchasing. So what where does that leave? A, a retailer like JD.com who started in that environment? Lots of questions so, all at yeah, once I, there. I, I mean, I think this is a really fascinating question. So I'd like to start it with what's the difference? You know, if you think about the difference of shopping there and here. So, you know, of course, in, in Asia and, and grocery shopping, it's all about fresh. It's fre- everything has to be fresh. And, and also, so 
it's fresh and, and, and people really shun, you know, frozen and anything else like that. So they have to come. Their frequency of purchase, they don't generally do weekly shops. The shopping frequency is much more da- daily type of shop as mm. opposed to one big weekly shop. And um, so more fresh product than anything. And I'm not talking just about vegetables. It's about everything because they eat fresh. They shop more frequently. Also, these are hugely uh, massive urban conurbations where there's many, there's much less uh, density of people having cars. So it's all about, you know, you've got really highly populated areas where people are on foot uh, and, and therefore the delivery is much easier as we see you know it's fine people grocers make money delivering in london but they don't anywhere else in the country so much easier to deliver to home within 30 to 40 minutes around those big asian cities uh and and of course then you've got a highly literate population who spend much of their working day on their smartphone and payment is all within app it's Mm. all within so payment sorted out Mm. and also finally the whole experience of uh that kind of shopping is also one of um, community and uh, meeting your friends and having lunch and making something out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, in the in the UK, you know, people go and spend 200 quid and, you know, they avoid speaking to anybody at mm. all costs. That's the Wordless British way, you know. It's considered a chore almost. We do yeah. everything not to speak to anybody yeah. in the supermarket, even yeah. though we're in there with five or 600 people. But, you know, yeah. I didn't see anybody. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even speak to the person who's helping me load the bags. So it's just, it's a completely different social aspect. Uh, you know, demographic aspect, cultural aspect, culinary aspect, technology aspect. Um, and I, I think their stores are amazing. If you mm. go to, you just go to them. There's a whole theatre. There's entertainment. You spend time. Um, so does it does it transfer here? Well, um, just in the things that we've said, you know, it's a weekly shop. It's not a daily shop. Fresh is important, but in a slightly different way. Um, and interestingly, in the UK, uh, roughly around ten percent of grocery now is online, but that's massively plateaued. Mm. So is it going to get any bigger? Unlikely. So it's kind of the people who are going to shop online are shopping online. You don't think the grocery online shopping market's going to get bigger in the UK? Well, marginally. Mm. But it's not, you know, we haven't, we, it, it, it's shot up, but it's plateaued. Yeah. yeah. So I'd say, look at, look at the thing, it's plateaued. So why is it going to shoot up anymore? It's yeah. to say quite a lot of people who are going to shop are shopping. Yeah. They might move, they might switch, they might go to Ocado and so forth. Yeah. But so, but I'm not sure you're going to suddenly, it's going to go to 20 overnight. Yeah. I think that the, tech difference you, you said it earlier but i think the tech difference between uh, apac and over here for example is another massive faction why they they're not they're not going to come over here just yet because um so in in china obviously they're they're contactless mobile payments through alipay like the large majority of the time they went straight from cash to completely cashless that yeah it's yep. completely cashless whereas we're doing it step by step by step because we hate change so <laughs> I only got a contactless card like a year ago, so <laughs> on that I've used I've now used mobile payment a few times on the tube when it's not busy at all. And you're but, a millennial here, yeah, yeah, exactly. I meant to be like the peak. Yeah, I'm not. Um, you're an agent for change. Yeah, you waited for two thirty on an afternoon. Yeah, on a, yeah, yeah, exactly. a distant central line station yeah. to try contactless. That is, that's <laughs> me. Yeah, um, but they they just haven't got the infrastructure to come over here and set it all up. So they'd they'd have to come over here and they didn't have to invest so much money 
themselves into and, and also they'd have to change mindsets but as i well. think i think that's the thing because I, I don't think the money's the issue i think there's a there's a mindset issue because there's, there's it's, it's, it's one of them isn't it? it it is but you know if you said we've got the money why why aren't why you know pe- people who want to shop online on grocery are doing it so the others still want to go and collect um that's a choice and be use the word europe so let's if you just consider the uk consider france France have moved towards drive. They've managed to get away with not doing home delivery and they get people to go and pick it up. And so the whole uh, move to collect your shopping through drive in France is huge, but it's still dominated by hypermarket and the weekly shop. Mm. And in Germany, 50% is dominated by the discounter, Mm. where it's definitely not about uh, shopping online. And the other 50% is dominated by the other places who are now trying to go really premium. But there's not a huge adoption in France or Germany with online shopping, mm-hmm. online grocery. Uh, so, you know, you've suddenly got the UK, Germany, France all behaving independently very differently, um, with the UK being the biggest adopter of online grocery, and yet it's only 10%. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure it's worth it. Thinking back to what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, merchants and sellers on on Amazon, but surely, you know, a big retailer like JD.com, if they've got any interest in Europe, will be thinking about this from a strategic perspective too. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but I would think that they're not thinking, well, we're just going to replicate this business model over in Europe, Um, you know, because that to me sounds like a very American approach to the world. And, you know, we believe the Chinese are quite significantly different. Let's fill Tesco with spider crabs. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Live in large tanks. (laughs) Or sell during fruit in you know yes. street markets or something it won't it, you know I'm expecting that they'd look at it differently so I'm just interested to know um you know particularly you Hedley if you got if you were jd.com and you thought mm, let's expand to Europe what would you do what would you focus on how well, would you I'm so pleased to ask the question because I you know actually uh I I think the whole th- thing with JD is really really exciting because if, if you think about it they've um they've got the hugely the, the whole DNA is digital yeah the whole the whole ability and thinking and capabilities all around technology and, and using technology to improve decision-making. So they're coming at this uh, with huge capabilities that so many other big retailers absolutely don't have, and they can't buy it either. And if you look at, um, so even if you say that uh, JD's slightly behind you know, at Alibaba in terms of its AI capabilities, it's vastly ahead of anybody else you know, in, yeah. you know, vastly ahead. So if you took that capability and that sort of DNA and you paired it with a really big retailer in Europe, a Carrefour or a Tesco, for example, I mean, that could be a really heady combination that could be a winning partnership. Mm. So I think, I think for JD, their route, if it was me, would be through partnership to bring a competitive advantage that neither business has. Already has, yeah. Yeah, and you bring it and you you leapfrog everybody. Um, I don't know anybody who's got the technical mindset capabilities, uh, human and technical, that, you know, JD, have you look at the people they just hired, you know, from an AI point of view? Yeah. You know, they just hoovered up one of the top AI guys who worked on the Amazon Go project in Seattle, yeah, I mean, they have hired some incredible talent in the last quarter of the year. Who who would you partner with if you were them then, if you wanted to to come over? Because obviously there's, there's, there's so much choice. There, there is. That's a really good question. Um, let's go back to uh, where, where do you think the biggest opportunity is? I mean, you know, uh, it needs to be a big, big player. Uh, so it would have to be a, a Tesco type mm. or it would have to be a Carrefour. 
You know, Carrefour would be interesting because mm. Carrefour would give you links into the rest of the world. Yes, very much so. You know, they, they are huge dominant. So I, yeah. that, that's the kind of place that you'd go. Including I an think. already um, existing presence in parts of Southeast Asia, Carrefour too. So. It, 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 exactly, yeah. in China. So that, that could be quite interesting. Yeah. But I think through partnership, they've got something that other people haven't got, more than a mindset and deep pocket. So Yeah. Interesting. Mm. I want to move on to the um, second segment of our session now, um, which is a little bit more of a focus on you, Headley, and what you're doing with Productcaster. Yeah. So why don't you kick that off by telling us what it is and, and, how, it, and how it works? Sure. So um, Productcaster is a, a shopping comparison uh, website uh, for brands uh, and retailers around Europe. Uh, it is a, a new comparison site of a new, of a new breed, um, and but particularly came about via the opportunity with where Google have opened up the the shopping comparison market really by being able to include other shopping comparison partners in the in the auction and the shopping space, uh, and obviously that came about through the antitrust ruling where uh, you said, hey Google, you need to open this up to other players, um, and that didn't happen for some time, um, and then Google have uh, made an incentive for retailers to actually get a better price in the auction if they do that through a good comparison shopping partner. Um, so, you know, as a specialist in online retailing, we, we spotted that actually that price comparison or shopping comparison space isn't, isn't actually that well catered for. There's a fairly small group of players. Uh, in many countries, those players that exist are not well thought of uh, as being providing transparency and a great service. So we, we, we leapt on the opportunity to really create a, a new proposition that both gave a good comparison experience when you arrive at the site, but also helped um, re- retailers get a, a, a better price in the Google auction as well. So a good combination of two things, really. Yeah. So how, how has it changed there? So you said that it's the, uh, the antitrust law that's kind of enabled this to come about. Yeah. How has it changed from a... Um, a partner's perspective, so from a retail partner's perspective, how has uh, the introduction of product caster kind of changed the landscape for them? What what would they see differently as they're going about trying to buy these listings? Uh, do you mean from a retailer's point yes. of view? Yes. Yeah. So from a from a retailer, um, if they bought uh, Google Shopping ads, uh, they would their ad would appear. Uh, they would pay a, a cost per click for it, and it would the ads would say buy Google. If they do that now through a shopping comparison partner who's been accredited by Google, um, it will say ads by the name of that um, shopping comparison partner and the retailer will um, get a reduced, uh, will pay a reduced cost per click in the auction. So they're giving comparison partners a better deal basically so that that landscape is more competitive. That's really how it works. Um, and so you've seen you've seen in the last uh, few months since it was introduced, you've seen a lot of new comparison partners appearing, um, and, and there's quite a difference in you know the performance and the quality of those. Yeah. Whereas What's, for product sorry, caster, yeah. we're here to you know we're we're really interested in this space because yeah. we we know that people want to compare uh, before buying, um, and and we don't think it's very well served. So. No. What's the feedback been like so far? Because it's 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 a fairly new product still, isn't it? Yeah. So the, uh, well, the feedback um, from the from the merchants or the retailers that we work with around Europe is that they're seeing really reduced um, CPCs cost per click uh, for the for the auction, and they're investing that money that they've either saved, either by not spending as much, or they're investing it in generating more traffic. So uh, you know, it's been very positive from the people using it properly. 
And what about um, the data side of that? Do you share the data um, with? Well, the no, nothing really, nothing really changes. So the re- the retailer, um, if you work through um, a p- partner set up correctly, you you shouldn't have to migrate any of your existing AdWords accounts. So you have your existing AdWords account, you've got all your campaign history, and all you do is you link your AdWords account with your shopping comparison partner, and and literally over a period of twenty four hours, um, Google make the relationship between your mm. your ads and and the comparison partner and and suddenly in google it will say ads by and the name of the partner so ads by product coster so for our, our retailers it's business completely as usual they just see a reduction in cost no migration no loss of data they see exactly what they see and um until certainly until christmas um those retailers are getting a, a matched funding so google are giving them a match fund to uh to incentivize them to to use a comparison partner and so their campaign data is the same. It's exactly as the same. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exa- it's exactly the same. Yeah. It's such an interesting area because obviously in an ideal world for Google, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't obviously try and incentivize people to use other people's products. But because of this, it's, it's because of the, the antitrust law, they have to do this, is it then? Yes. They need to improve. They need to improve the, um, you know, the impression share of comparison shopping partners in the Google Shopping mm. results. It's, yeah. it's very simple. Yeah. Um, and the EU will be looking at that and watching it go up. And they've clearly got a number in their mind of which yeah. is acceptable. Um, but of course, you know, there haven't been that many shopping comparison partners. And the ones that have been there haven't, you know, was quite questionable. And then depending on which country you're in, different countries have a very different view about those comparison partners. So, you know, I, I think this is a space which used, used to be pretty big. Then it really went into decline. But actually, it's another opportunity to provide a, a different kind of service. Yeah. You know, um, it used to be called price comparison, but it's now product comparison because the feeds that we're getting are much richer. Mm. So, you know, that, that if you want to compare mobile phones, there's an limited amount of data which Google can handle, for example, around mm. mobile phone uh, telephony and choice. So there's real space, I think, for product comparison in particular categories which aren't well served and some of the big sites are very generic so you can compare on a few features but actually if you really want to drill down yeah. into some detail it's, it's it's still a very manual job so you know for, again great opportunity for people who want to explore that uh, provide a good service uh, and also help really tell it, you know get their google google yeah, spend down exactly. so which categories are, aren't particularly well served or haven't traditionally been particularly well served? Uh, well, tele- telephony is an interesting example. So the amount of data that you, you can, uh, uh, a provider can give you around network coverage, phones and so forth hmm. um, is more than Google deal with in their, in their current generic shopping ads. So great, great opportunity to provide a better granular service. There are also a lot of brands who don't want to actually appear in the shopping. Because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it wouldn't be against, it, they just wouldn't want to, you know, I'm not sure um, it's not premium brand or luxury guidelines. brands yeah. would want to appear yeah. next to Wilco. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, and you can probably see why. So, uh, so there's, I think there's real space for p- perhaps providing more boutique comparison between brands that are kind of happy to coexist with each other. Mm. But in the past, that might not have been worth doing because, again, how would you have driven traffic to it? How would you have put it in the auction? Yeah. Well, now the price is cheaper. So, the, 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 you know, there's, that's no barrier. You, it's yeah, not, exactly. it's, the barrier's gone, right? Yeah. So there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. So I just think any, you know, you, you've heard a bit of people calling, you know, f- calling foul of what Google are doing, you know, and, and it's no surprise that it's the shopping comparison 
you know, existing mm. shopping comparison sites. Well, it's, look, hey, guys, you've got some competition now. So there's nothing wrong with that. And the bad ones will quickly fall by the wayside. And Google are kicking the bad ones out already because there's a very strict criteria of quality. And that will get harder. So the bar will go up. And what you'll get left with is probably a subset of good sites providing a decent service who are there because they can make money for their retailers, mm. you know, and, yeah. and, and it will, it'll create some fertility in mm. this space, right? Yeah, mm. definitely. Nothing wrong what, with that. What are some of the criteria then? So if, if Google are kind of weaning out the, the bad ones what have they what are the, the check boxes that they want everyone to tick and they want how good, can they miss well, that they, they want a good user experience yeah? yeah so you know for example speed the thing's got to yeah. things got to load speed and you know remember when when you're indexing hundreds of thousands of millions of products from feeds um, that that's not an insignificant task to the user, they just type something in they expect it to be there but actually it's quite complicated and search is another one you know um, because of people's feeds and what they put in their feed and it's, they're not all consistent, it's really hard for a search engine to provide you a great result. And so often well, we see it all over the web, don't we? You know, you know, type in something and Christmas trees appear and you know, it happens for Amazon. But it's because it's difficult. So when you're, when you're amassing feeds um, with all sorts of levels of quality, so you know, search has got to be good, you've got to have the ability to sort, you've got to have the ability to filter, um, so just the things you'd expect as a standard and, and a good user experience. Yeah, definitely. So as so you gonna say something? No, go. <laughs> um, so as you guys um, continue to grow, because as we said, you are still fairly new. What's what are the, what are the next steps? Like how how do you continue to partner with them? How do you take that partnership further and develop? Well, it's interesting. So we we uh, we. D- decided right at the very beginning that it was going to be quite difficult for a lot of agencies who weren't who who really where technology wasn't their first sort of sport to provide a good service to their clients so we we created uh, the ability uh, and a program an agency program so that agencies could uh, introduce their clients or themselves to CSS and do that in a in a rigorous way um, that gave the clients good onboarding, good measurement uh, and hand-holding. So we've got, you know, we've got um, a lot of agencies signed up from all over Europe um, where we're providing good service to them and mm. their clients. Uh, so that that's really good. And we've got a, uh, retailers all over Europe who are, you know, who are signing up. So we're also looking at ways uh, to help promote people and provide them um, with better feeds. So again, feed, feed production is always an art and we have a lot of technology because we produce and we manage feeds for so many retailers. Yeah. So we're, we're now helping our clients just tidy up their feeds, yeah. enrich their feeds with better content so that they perform much better in Google Shopping as as well as in any kind of search. Yeah. Their feeds can only get better. The better the feed, the, the less you'll pay and the better you're publishing. And the whole name of Product Caster is all about casting your products around the web. Yeah. You know? And your tool for that is a feed. So it needs to be as good as it can. Yeah, definitely. Is that how... Sorry, I just keep asking. <laughs> um, how can how how can a fee be bad? Because obviously, we we every every day when we go onto Google and try and search something to buy, obviously you're going to get product feeds. What's what's a good product feed and what's a bad product feed? Okay, well, a bad product feed in its very simplest form is things with missing information. So, okay. in a in a product feed for Google Shopping, you every every product should have an EAN number, which is a which is a standard number in retail, which identifies what the product is. So, for example, if you submit a feed to Google and you've got a missing number, mm. 
it, it will be disallowed. Okay. So, for example, remember the feed is often automatically produced either from an internal system, an ERP system, or it's produced by scraping the website because the former idea wasn't available. And, and therefore, the quality of the information can often mi- result in missing data. So first of all, you want all of the fields mm. filled in, product, title, description, short description, and pictures. So many missing pictures, or the pictures that are there are pretty poor. You know, certainly That's not good, good enough for you to make a, a buying decision. Yeah. I, yeah. If, I, if I had a list of products and one of them didn't have a picture and the rest of them did, I'd just go straight over it. Yeah, of yeah. course. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even consider go, it. Yeah, absolutely. In, in, it's not... in everything. And, and then you've got other information that you need in your feed around uh, things like... Um, uh, location and um, where I can buy it and also the availability and how much stock and so keeping that accurate is, is tough particularly depending on how you're particularly if somebody's scraping a website and then you know you want I want my so imagine we're selling the same product it's a commodity product which happens a lot in for example electricals how can I make my description better than your mm. description well you're not going to do that by using the stock description that the no. manufacturer gives you so mm. how many times have we seen in google shopping the same fridge freezer the same picture the same description no difference and that point it's like well which is the price or then it's about reviews so do you yeah. include reviews in your how many reviews yeah. so what you're looking for is richness of information and quality and a point of difference and that's where we come in to tidy up the feeds, make sure they're accurate, replace missing information. So that by the time it gets submitted to Google, it's in the very best shape. And then also a bit, have the ability to help a retailer to be able to add and remove products depending on whether they're performing in different places that you want to publish. But do it easily so it's not a technical thing. So there's, lot, there's quite a lot to, there's so many opportunities to improve feeds. I'm a little bit obsessed with this at the moment because I'm buying a house and ah. I have to furnish it. And so okay. I am that person that you, is considering buying fridges on her mobile phone in, in an <laughs> environment where you wouldn't normally do that. So I just yes. feel like I'm constantly looking at shopping comparison options and 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 it's interesting for me to think about what it is I'm looking for you know there's the product information but I absolutely want reviews particularly with high value purchases I'm not going to purchase it unless I've read something not just about the product as well but also about the person that's selling it I want to know if they're a reliable yeah uh, trader and yeah I, and and I want that information to stand out. Mm. You're absolutely right because I'm doing it in a mobile environment. I'm doing all the things 12 months ago I thought I would never do, and due to convenience and a need, I'm being funneled into that shopping experience. Yeah, well, see, this is a very 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 good point because of course um, the, there's a basic feed, a basic set of fields that you need, but then there's a whole number of others that will really make the difference between whether you stay and you buy. And often um, retailers um, don't they don't include that information or it exists in a different format. So how many, how many um, retailers use Bizarre Voice or Review or, you know, an, another review? But they don't have the ability to actually aggregate the reviews into their master feed and bring it, bring it together. Mm. So th- this ability to do that and, and bring various pieces of content together in a technical way is it's quite it's, a, it's, it's that's quite, a rich it's, tool, actually. It's quite a challenge. But yeah. also in a business, it just seems like, you know, it's a... It's a boring thing, like what a feed. Oh, it's a technical thing. Mm. It's not. It's what the customer sees. Yeah, it's absolutely. What you it gives you the ability to cast your products far and wide across the web. Everybody's using f- feeds. Yeah. So, and also retailers, 
the often the person producing the content in these feeds is the lowest paid mm. you know but you know it's, it's the, the most it's important such job. an afterthought yeah. and yet yeah. it's, it's mm. uh we see it all the time yeah 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 you know oh some intern or oh, could you can you write some product description <laughs> 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 it's like, that's the best thing that they're gonna that's read that's what sells yeah. things yes exactly yeah. exactly it's interesting so. isn't it and is there an opportunity for this um beyond europe I, the product's mostly focusing on europe at the moment uh, yeah at the moment um mm. f- absolutely but mm. uh f- f- for sure it could it could operate you know we're te- testing and trying it in europe and we want to find a format uh, and also uh, we want to find the categories where, where that are underserved t- today where there's a real need for it uh, and then we'll look at you know, which territories that's applicable yeah yeah good exciting times yeah really exciting um okay i think that's pretty much all we've got time for today so thanks hugh thanks headley and um thanks for listening everybody that was retail tech review <laughs>